The reading today is Exodus chapters 9 and 10, beginning at chapter 9. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys and camels, and on your cattle, sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the day of the Lord, he did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites died. Yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the furnace and let Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it in the air, and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so that you may know what, that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for the very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt. From the day it was founded till now, give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so the hail will fall over all of Egypt, on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flash down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, 
When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were destroyed, since the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not yet destroyed, because they ripen later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out the city. He spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that they may perform these signs of mine amongst them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and how I performed my signs amongst them, and that you may know that I am Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians something neither you nor your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. And Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's official said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me who will be going. Moses answered, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on even evil. No, no, let only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that the locusts swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By the morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts nor will they ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail. Everything growing in the fields and the fruit of the trees, nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them to the Red Sea. Not a locust was left in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky, so the darkness spreads over Egypt. 
darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go, only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them worshipping the Lord our God, and until we get there, we will not know what we have to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear to you again. This is the end of the reading. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rachel, for reading for us all the way from London. Let's pray as we turn to reflect on what Rachel's read for us. Lord God, thank you for this epic tale that we have known since we were young. Thank you that it's not just a good story, but that it has something to teach us. Thank you that you have something to teach us about ourselves, about the world in which we live, and about yourself through this story. Lord, help us to open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today through this, your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> this section of the story that has to do with the plagues of Egypt, which we began looking at last week, is not just a children's story. I was quite relieved when in that cartoon last week, most of the plagues were skipped over. The plagues of Egypt were horrible. And the Bible makes no bones about that. Jewish tradition recognizes the gravity of this part of the story. In the Passover cedar, that symbolic meal that we'll be looking at next week. Recognition is given to the suffering of the Egyptians in Egypt because of the plagues. During the Passover meal, the plagues are remembered. And after each plague is recounted, each person puts their finger into their glass or cup of wine and drops a drop of wine onto a plate. This drop represents a tear of commiseration for the people of Egypt. And when it comes to the last and most horrific plague, two drops are made. The plagues of polluting water, frogs, gnats and flies everywhere, disease in the livestock, boils, crop destroying hail and locusts, darkness and the death of every firstborn child are horrible. And so the question that seems to be crying out for an answer is, who is to blame? Who is to blame for all this horror? Egypt had a vast array of 
gods and goddesses. There were over 2,000 gods and goddesses in Egypt. There was a god for just about everything. And so some commentators on Exodus see the story of the plagues as an epic battle between the god of the Israelites and the gods and goddesses of Egypt. They link every plague to a certain god or goddess, or even several gods and goddesses. For instance, the plague of the frogs, they, they see God showing his sovereignty over the goddess Hecate, who was the goddess of childbirth and fertility. These commentators then see the gods of Egypt and the people's worship of these gods as the cause of the plagues. The Egyptians and their gods are to blame for this situation. I think the text, however, gives us a more straightforward, though not so very different answer to that question, who is to blame for the plagues? It is Pharaoh. Pharaoh who is to blame. Or more precisely, it is Pharaoh's heart that is to blame. Pharaoh, who is the representative of both the people and their gods, is to blame for the judgment that is brought on all of Egypt in these terrible plagues. Because of our culture, we find this story difficult. We find it hard to understand why, if God is good and just, God can judge all the Egyptians for what one man does. Why didn't God just judge Pharaoh? Why didn't God just fill Pharaoh's house with frogs or make him break out in boils or kill only his firstborn son? Our overriding concern for individuals, however, is not the way the biblical authors saw things nor is it the way others around the world see things, even to this day. Pharaoh was the head of Egypt. Pharaoh was the one who represented the many. Pharaoh was a product of the Egyptians' culture. He was a product of their values and their actions. The Egyptians are the beneficiaries of Pharaoh's decisions. He bears responsibility for them, and they bear responsibility for him. Although the story, as we pointed out last week, although in the story, as we pointed out last week, there's at least one time when some of the, of the Egyptian people rebelled against Pharaoh and managed to escape punishment from their plagues, by and large, the Egyptians are judged right alongside their leader. According to the biblical account, Pharaoh is to blame for all the plagues. He is to blame because of his persistent rebellion against God. Pharaoh's to blame for failing to recognize God as sovereign. He's to blame for holding back the people whom God had chosen for his mission to redeem the whole world, Egypt included. But even though, according to the text, Pharaoh is to blame, there's a problem with the language that is used 
when it talks about Pharaoh's heart and hardening heart. In the 20 times that Pharaoh's hard heart is mentioned in Exodus, sometimes the text says that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Sometimes it says that God hardens his heart. And at other times, it's ambiguous as to who is doing the hardening. So which is it? Is it Pharaoh who hardens his own heart? Or is it God who hardened it? And if God hardened it, is Pharaoh really to blame for what's happening? And if you aren't confused by Exodus, then turn to Romans chapter 9, where Paul writes even more about the conundrum of Pharaoh's heart. And you'll be sure to get well and truly tied up in knots over this. It is a puzzle. It is a hard puzzle. But by looking at the instances of where Pharaoh's hard heart is mentioned, I think we might even be able to solve this hard puzzle. Now, we're not going to look at all 20 instances where Pharaoh's heart is mentioned, but let's do a summary. God first mentions way back in chapter 4 that at a time in the future, he is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He makes that prediction again in chapter 7, verse 3. God, being God, knows what will happen to Pharaoh's heart. But the fact that God knows does not mean that he wills it. Any more than your mother telling you that it will end in tears means that she ever wanted it to end that way, even though she was invariably right. But as the plagues commence in chapter 7, and as Pharaoh's heart actually becomes hard, the text is ambiguous as to who is doing the hardening. In chapter 8, however, it's clear that it is Pharaoh who hardens his own heart. But when we get to chapter 9, and when we get to these more severe plagues, the text begins to say that God is the one who does the hardening. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. What we see happening here, I believe, is a progression. It begins with Pharaoh's own deliberate resistance to God. And it ends with God doing something that confirms Pharaoh's own decision in his own heart. Paul in Romans 1 speaks of humanity in general. But what he says there resonates with what we see of Pharaoh here in Exodus. Paul writes of humanity in general, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks, but their, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. 
Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. The key to understanding what is happening here when Exodus speaks of God hardening Pharaoh's heart is those five words in Romans chapter 1. Therefore, God gave them over. There comes a point where God allows Pharaoh's heart to continue on the trajectory that it has already started on. God gives him over. That is what is meant by God hardening Pharaoh's heart. At this point, even the mercy that God shows only seems to confirm Pharaoh in his rebellion. When Pharaoh asks, God stops the plagues. And what does the text say? When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart all the more. God's mercy is like sunshine. If your heart is inclined to receive it, your heart melts like butter. If your heart, on the other hand, resists God's mercy, your heart is set like concrete. Even at the point where God hardens his heart, could Pharaoh have turned around? Could Pharaoh have accepted God's sovereignty and heeded his instructions? I think it's possible. But the possibility of Pharaoh softening his heart and turning around got more and more unlikely each time he said no to God. And that's not because God wasn't willing Pharaoh to repent and turn around. In 2 Peter, Peter says, it is God's will that everyone come to repentance and not perish. The Bible speaks often about hard hearts, not just here in this portion of Exodus. Later in the Exodus, when the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness, their hearts too turn hard and they complain and grumble against God and against Moses, God's servant. Over in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel speaks of God's people having a heart of stone. And Jesus, too, when he shares the parable of the sower, says to his disciples that because the people's hard, because of the people's hard hearts, they hear his teaching, but their hearts only become harder. Some people, like Pharaoh, get hard hearts through persistent sin and rebellion. Other hearts, like those of the Israelites in the wilderness, are hardened because they feel disappointed by God. It might be that God hasn't answered a prayer, or God has burdened someone with something they feel is too hard for them to carry. Do you wonder about your own heart? Have you, like Pharaoh, held on to some behavior or aspiration that you know from God's word is not within his will for you. 
Have you said no to God one too many times when he has prompted you to do something or change something in your life? Or, on the other hand, has something happened to you that made you feel disappointed with God? Have you lost someone or something that you feel you cannot live without? Do you feel God is distant and unhelpful? Unanswered prayer and disappointment with God can be very painful. And I don't want to belittle that. Sometimes it takes a lot of time and a lot of healing to get over these things. I'm finding that the prayer course that we're doing at the moment very helpful in this regard. If you'd like to talk to me about any of these issues and maybe do that course, please do get in touch. My contact details are in the description of the video below. But when we talk about hardness of heart, it isn't the pain of unanswered prayer or disappointment with God that we're necessarily talking about, but it's the way that we deal with those disappointments and that pain. Hardening our hearts is one reaction to our pain that can, in the end, cause us even more pain. Perhaps it isn't yourself that you're concerned about when you think of hard hearts. Do you love someone you feel has a hard heart? No matter how many times they see God at work or get a warning about the direction their life is going in, they stubbornly persist. And maybe, as is very common, that person that you love too has been disappointed by God or they've had their prayers unanswered. The good news for us and for those we love is that hardness of heart need not be a permanent condition. When Ezekiel condemns the people of God for having hearts of stone, it's within the context of a prophecy that God is going to give them new hearts and that he's going to give them a new spirit removing their hearts of stone and giving them hearts of flesh. That prophecy of Ezekiel is not just for Ezekiel's time. It's one that reveals God's heart to us too. No matter the state of our heart or the heart of that loved one that we are concerned about, God's heart is always soft his is the heart of the father and the story of the prodigal son. He comes running to us with his arms open wide. His heart is always soft, no matter what we've done or how disappointed we've felt with him. And God's desire is to give us and to give to those whom we pray his own soft heart. Let's pray now and ask God what he longs to give us. Lord, come by your spirit and break up the unplowed land of our hearts. 
We don't want to be like Pharaoh. We don't want to be resisting your will and in the process destroying ourselves and the world around us. And though life has been tough, and we have sometimes felt that you haven't been there when we needed you, that you haven't answered when we have called. We don't want our hearts to become hard because of that. We acknowledge now, Lord, that you are still loving us. We know that you are still present with us even when we don't feel you are there. We know that you are still good, despite our eyes and our experience at the present moment and in the dark past. Lord, come and give us soft hearts. Lord, come and give us hearts that are sensitive to the movement of your Spirit. Come, Lord Spirit, fill us now. Renew us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.